Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, Invisible Friend, April here, and the date today is January 23rd, 2023. Welcome to Episode 162 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, the Sun makes creative aspects to Mars and Jupiter and reaches the midpoint between its eclipse seasons. Venus enters the sign of Pisces, and the first quarter moon in Taurus asks us to take some kind of action on something that we instigated way back at last April's solar eclipse. Plus, I answer a listener question about what it means to have the sun in the 12th house of the chart. It begins with the sun making a sextile aspect to Jupiter on January 24th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. It's at 4 degrees and 47 minutes of Aquarius and Aries. Transits of two planets that are connected by a sextile aspect are usually only consequential to the extent that you're willing to work to make something of them. But whenever we have a connection between the sun and Jupiter, it's worth noting. The sun, of course, is about how we are trying to shine and present ourselves out in the world, our creative impulses, our personal genius. And Jupiter makes everything bigger, expands it out, and makes it more positive, gives us a sense of optimism, and presents new chances So this week, as these two come together, consider it an invitation to shine your light by taking a chance on something new. A key word that is associated with Jupiter is expansion, but it's one that we use so often that it kind of loses its relevance a little bit. But if we just think of Jupiter as symbolizing anything that is out of the ordinary. Depending on your personality, I mean, you might be a person who has a pretty fixed routine, who tends to go to the same few restaurants with pretty much the same friends, go to the movies on particular nights of the week, you know, whatever it is, have a very fixed routine, just going to a different restaurant or having a different kind of food and trying something new or seeing a new part of the city. These are all Jupiterian experiences. So don't feel as if this means that you have to go out and join the circus or something this week to get the most from this aspect. You know the places where you have tended to get a little bit stuck in your routines. And this week, Jupiter offers the opportunity to get out of that comfort zone a little bit and be stimulated and inspired by having different experiences. Venus enters the sign of Pisces on January 26th at 6.33 p.m. Pacific time. It will be in this lovely sign through February 19th. Venus is said to be exalted in Pisces which means she is especially strong in this sign and does some of her very best work here. Venus talks about the things that we will enjoy in the month ahead, that give us pleasure, that make us feel good. And when Venus is in Pisces, 
It is a time to indulge our imaginations, to make beautiful things. In our relationships, to practice forgiveness and unconditional love. To look at this as a time of healing and specifically healing in our relationships and also healing through pleasure generally. Often we get so busy in life and we're just coming out of a Capricorn season and an Aquarius season that are ruled by Saturn. And when we tend to be, especially at the beginning of the year, very goal oriented and putting our shoulders to the grindstones. Venus represents that principle of just sheer enjoyment and the things that we do for the love of it. There is something very uplifting about that, and yes, very healing. So while Venus is going through Pisces, this is the approach to take. Venus is very strong in this sign, and so her voice is really turned up. She is saying, What is beautiful in your world and what could be even more beautiful? There is that element of imagination and of thinking, how could things be more magical? And now for the Moon Report for the week of January 23rd. It begins with the first quarter moon in Taurus on January 28th at 7.19 a.m. Pacific Time at 8 degrees and 25 minutes of Taurus. The Sabian symbol for nine Taurus is a Christmas tree decorated. I very much like that symbol, which brings together the down-to-earth natural beauty of the first quarter moon in Taurus with the sun in Aquarius. So we see these shiny baubles and the lights that we put on the tree to make it glitter. It sounds like two images that really wouldn't go together at all, but instead it's something very beautiful. This first quarter moon is in a conjunction with the north node of the moon, as well as Uranus. A first quarter moon right next to the north node says, in no uncertain terms, you must act. You must do something now. You're in the point of the lunar cycle where it's necessary to do something, however small, to act on instinct. The North Node has been in Taurus, of course, for a pretty long time now. And I think that what it's been leading us toward has been moving in the direction of security and stability and taking things at face value. Now, the world around us has not necessarily been supporting us in that. And I think that that's symbolized, too, by the North Node having tracked along pretty closely with Uranus for a certain amount of its journey. So now we have the first quarter moon there. And it's saying, yes, things are constantly in a state of change. And what we have to do is take the attitude that there is something comforting that the one thing we can really depend on in life is that things are going to change. That's how I've been making sense of Uranus, the planet of change, being in Taurus and close to the North Node. Constant change is here to stay. And this first quarter moon, together with the North Node and Uranus, 
remind me of something my husband's uncle used to say, which was something like, whatever you do will be wrong. Act at once. If we wait for the time to be right, well, that time is never going to come because that has to come from within us. We can't rely on the outside world to make things comfortable and to be reliable and to give us what it is that we want at all times. This is the first quarter moon in a lunar phase family that began back on April 30th, 2022 with a solar eclipse at 10 degrees and 28 minutes of Taurus, which was in a very close conjunction with Uranus. Eclipses symbolize moments of change. And my belief is that they symbolize the times and the ways in which we are pushed to move away from the comfort zone of the south node of the moon and toward the north node. So the south node has been chugging along in Scorpio. And I think it represents the ways in which we are distrustful of the world around us. And it's not without some justification, of course. The world can be a scary place. But with the south node, what we're doing is trying to get past the shadow of the sign that the south node is in. Scorpio is a fine sign with many wonderful qualities. But what we're talking about here are the elements of the Scorpio archetype that trip us up. And with Scorpio, it is about distrust. It's about suspicion and seeing things that are not necessarily there, coming from the place of assuming the worst and second-guessing everything and not really being trustful. So I think that as we are at this first quarter moon and as the sun actually on January 28th at 4.49 p.m. is square the lunar nodes, then I think that the message we're getting here is the action we need to take at this first quarter is to trust and to enjoy things at face value. Let's take a look at the Void of Course moon periods for this week. On January 23rd, the moon in Aquarius makes a conjunction with Venus at 2.19 a.m. Pacific time. It's Void of Course for about seven hours before it enters Pisces at 9.36 a.m. Pacific time. This is one of the more pleasant Void of Course moon periods I can imagine. It's a time for considering friendship the pleasure of companionship. And it's also a time to really think about what's important to you. What do you value? That is the essence of Venus. And Venus in Aquarius is looking far off into the distance. What do I want down the road? And what do I want to leave behind as my legacy? These are all very lofty concepts and questions, but we've got seven hours with this void of course moon. So these are the kinds of things you might think about or journal about. On January 25th, the moon in Pisces makes a sextile to Pluto at 8.11 a.m. Pacific time. Void, of course, for only about an hour and a half before it enters Aries at 10.48 a.m. Pisces can be a sign that will tend to avoid 
hard truths. It is a sign, especially with the moon in Pisces, that doesn't necessarily want to look too closely at things for fear that it's not going to like what it sees. The sextile to Pluto offers a chance to face up to some things that we've been wanting to ignore so that we can address them and in doing so become stronger and move forward on more solid footing. And finally, on January 27th, the moon in Aries squares Pluto at 1.01 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for just about two and three-quarter hours before it enters Taurus at 3.42 p.m. This is a time to consider whether perhaps you've been a little too self-centered, too headstrong, especially the days that the moon has been in Aries. Someone in your environment might decide to push back (laughs) at this Ford of Course moon period. Or someone in a position of authority might point out the error of your ways. You have a choice to make with this kind of square. You can either dig in your heels and become even more determined to go down the wrong path, or you can temper your more impulsive and headstrong qualities so that you can move in the direction that is a little more authentic and appropriate for you. January 29th is a great day for thinking creatively and for promoting yourself and your ideas and your creativity. The sun trines Mars on this day at 5.45 p.m. Pacific time at 9 degrees and 53 minutes of Aquarius and Gemini. The sun is on the Sabian symbol 10 Aquarius, a popularity that proves ephemeral. Now, on the one hand, I want to say that this is a great aspect for promoting yourself and anything that you do that's creative because the sun is the self and the creative side and Mars is not afraid to get out there and promote your message. This can be a day when you feel very much that you're filled with your own light and creativity and you just feel ready to take on the world. Trines to Mars are great. Because the trine is an aspect that can sometimes lead us into complacency. Things are so easy that we don't have to work very hard. But Mars always will work, always is motivated. So this is an especially nice and especially powerful trine. Now, what about this Sabian symbol, though? A popularity that proves ephemeral. And I think what I want to take from that is that The sun isn't in and of itself about popularity. It is about being really who you are and creating from your heart and not out of a desire to be popular. So in a sense, it doesn't matter if you find yourself in a situation where your popularity has proven to be ephemeral, because that's not what the sun is trying to accomplish anyway here, is being popular even if it is an Aquarius, which is kind of a sign of the populace. But on this day, and maybe a couple of days in advance, around January 27th through the 30th, good ideas will tend to come our way pretty effortlessly. And what's wonderful is 
Not only do we have the good ideas, but we have energy to tackle them. Also on January 29th, just shortly after the sun trines Mars, at 6.16 p.m. Pacific Time, Mercury makes a trine to Uranus at 14 degrees and 57 minutes of Capricorn and Taurus. Thinking brilliant thoughts is what I always associate with this aspect. The Sabian symbol for Mercury is many toys in a children's ward of a hospital. This Sabian symbol makes me think of how creative we become after we've had an illness or otherwise have been incapacitated. Our minds, our ideas, our thoughts seem to rest and replenish and restore so that we're ready to hit the ground running. And I think this Mercury trying to Uranus is a wonderful time for brainstorming. If you've been thinking of something you want to do, let's say, You want to write a book. You want to apply for a different kind of job, go back to school, whatever it is. But sometimes it's without a lot of focus. I always feel as a writer, I do best when I have a prompt, when I have someone to tell me what to write about. Because the coming up with what is the difficult part, except when Mercury is trying Uranus. Because we're outside of our usual way of thinking and looking at the world. And so new ideas can enter. This week's listener question comes from listener Sin, C-Y-N, not S-I-N, who wrote via Facebook, What obstacles or challenges does a 12th house son present to a person? I think this is an excellent question, Sin. It also gives me an opportunity to talk about the 12th house generally, because not everybody has the sun in that house, but many of us have planets in that house, or we're just thinking about it, because it has such a dire reputation. When I was first starting to learn astrology, my old-timey astrology books used to call the 12th house the house of self-undoing and the house of confinement. It's been associated with hospitals, with prisons, generally with places of contemplation and rehabilitation. It also is said to contain your hidden enemies and the ways in which you might actually get in your own way and become your own worst enemy. Now, to think about why this might be, Let's put ourselves in a 12th house frame of mind. I find it helpful when talking about the houses of the horoscope to consider what the time of day is like when the sun moves through that house. We often picture the 12th house as a dark place, but the sun rises at the ascendant, at the eastern horizon. And the 12th house symbolizes the sun's journey over the next two hours. So let's think about what the day is like between sunrise and, say, 8 a.m. And we're speaking symbolically here, because unless you're using whole sign houses or something of that nature, the houses aren't necessarily all the same size. 
And so the sun might actually go through your 12th house a little faster or a little more slowly. But symbolically, what is the day like between sunrise and about 8 a.m.? The sun is burning off the morning dew, and everything is wrapped in a soft, lovely haze. It is not a dark time of day, by definition. Many of us are just waking up. We're padding out to the kitchen in our slippers with our bedhead hair sticking up all over the place. We're not necessarily at our sharpest or our fastest in the 12th house before we've had our morning coffee or tea. Our solar selves are not necessarily at full strength. If we were a telephone that was being charged, we'd be up to about 55, 60%. We've emerged from the land of dreams and we are gradually adjusting to the real world. If we think of the 12th house as describing what meets us as we get up to greet the day, we can imagine that having some tough planets in that house or a more subdued sign on the cusp of that house might mean we're not necessarily mourning people. I had a friend who had Mars and Taurus in the 12th house, and she had a heck of a time getting going in the morning. And it got her in a certain amount of trouble in her jobs where she was often late. Now, another person might have experienced that Mars, overcome the difficult aspects of it by being pretty energetic in the morning, getting up and working out. But a lot depends on the whole chart and the whole person. But we can readily imagine that Mars would be a pretty tough customer to have breakfast with every morning. The self-undoing that's associated with the 12th house just means we're not necessarily awake to what's going on behind the scenes of our own lives. Often we try to hide what's in our 12th house because it is a place in the chart where we are very vulnerable. You know, we're still in our jammies and we're having our toast. We would be surprised if we realized just how obvious the things we try to hide in our 12th house are to everybody else. Now, the sun specifically in the 12th house is an interesting example. Again, picture the sun just after it rises. Its light can be strong, but it's still a bit shrouded often in some mist and it's not necessarily as bright and strong and hot as it will be later in the day, say when it gets up into the 10th house of the chart. The sun's job is always to shine and to be seen and to be recognized for what it really is. That's a little harder to do when it's in the 12th house. It's tempting with the sun, or even Leo on the cusp of this house, to make yourself a little bit incognito, to shy away from the spotlight a little bit. And that makes it hard for the sun to get that recognition that it needs. And since the sun represents the aspirational system of what we're learning and becoming over the course of our lifetime, it's just a little harder for us to really figure out who we are when the sun is in the 12th house. 
I have the sun square Neptune in my own chart and Neptune is in the 12th house. And I think there's probably a similar feel to it. And it has been a long lifetime of getting comfortable, putting myself out in the spotlight to let myself be seen. And also this process of really figuring out who I am. And because the sun is also associated with physical vitality, a person with the sun in the 12th house will probably need a lot of rest, need to jealously guard their downtime, their alone time, so that they can recharge those huge solar batteries. Now, I don't think the sun in the 12th house means you're any more prone to end up in confinement, for example. But I think you do need to honor the fact that you need rest and you need boundaries, but you have also got to shine. And that means kicking yourself out of your comfortable little cave, little 12th house cave, on a regular basis. So the world can see you and everything that you have to offer. Sin, I hope that helps. Thank you so much for your question. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer on a future episode of the podcast, please leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash podcast. Or you can email me, april at bigskyastrology.com, and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. Well, that is everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thanks for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe or follow the show on your app of choice. I love ratings and reviews, and I would love it if you would help spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend about the show. You can read show notes and full transcripts of this episode and leave your comments at BigSkyAstropod.com. Thanks very much to everyone who's shown support for the podcast over the past year. On each episode, I'm thanking some donors by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Patricia Parker and Kelly Yuliet. <laughs> Patricia and Kelly, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you'd like to support the show, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com And if you donate $10 or more, I'll send you a link to access my bonus episode for donors only that was released just after the Capricorn solstice. And you'll also get the upcoming bonus episodes for the Aries equinox and Cancer solstice. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes, and please leave a rating or review. 
You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time.